0: Hey guys, welcome to Property Soup. I'm Alan from Foundation Property and I'm here with my good friend, John from Access Wealth. Uh, welcome, um, we wanted to talk about, what are we talking about today, John? Um,
1: macro and microeconomics, the, the fun stuff.
0: That's it, macro and micro, yeah. We've been spending a bit of time on previous episodes about mindset and um, you know the decision-making process, but we wanna get more technical around yeah, how to find a good property um and yeah i i mean myself uh, there there's a there's different ways that you can approach finding a good investment property um but normally you know strategists and, and most of the strategists that i know and buyers agents say they, they look at things at a macro and a micro level so we're going to be diving into that a little bit so let's define those those two things what is what's macro and uh, micro sounds fairly obvious and Hey, look. It might sound obvious, but okay. Let's let's define those. What what did, what are you talk? What are we talking about? As when we're saying like macro and micro. First of all, John.
1: Yeah. Look. Look. Pretty pretty fair question, right? So much like nutrients, macro at the big level, micro at the small level, right? So the exact same thing. We look at investing fundamentals. So for myself personally, when I'm looking at macro, I'm talking about the national and state picture, and then we start talking micro. We mm. start talking the city, local government area, and then specific suburb picture uh for a potential investment property
0: i uh the way i i like to describe macro is big picture as well so for me macro is big picture and it's really determining the market first so some people like to go micro first they might um use different tools to find the property first and then kind of look at the market as a whole i prefer it to do i prefer to do it the other way which is like let's look at the markets which are moving right now at a macro level, what's going on in those markets, what's happening with infrastructure investment, what's happening with population growth, um, you know, you know what, what's happening at a big, big picture level. And then I like to go into the micro afterwards. And once I've found the right market, then I like to go in and afterwards and then kind of look top down, okay, w- what properties have we got in this basket here? And let's sift through that basket and throw the ones we don't like and then just kind of narrow it down and, and shortlist it and pick like, you know, maybe a group of 10, 20, and then further go micro and keep going and keep going until we find something which we're we're happy with. Do you have you got a similar approach or
1: Yeah, very much. I, I very much prefer to look at things top down. The reality is that look, even if someone is going to present you a specific opportunity in a submarket you don't know about you still need to keep your finger on the pulse to know what's happening in the big picture anyway, because yep. that's gonna inform really your 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 knowledge of the market at any given point in time. And then when the time is right, you can always zoom in further and it makes it a lot easier. Yeah,
0: yeah, okay. Well, I mean, like, what are, what are we looking for? Like, let's say somebody's interested in getting into property investing, um, you know, at a macro level, I mentioned a couple of things like population growth and infrastructure investment. Um, What what do you look for when you're looking at macro stuff, John?
1: Yeah, very much so. So in terms of the, let's say we're going to the state selection picture. So, and again, we're not saying we're going to disqualify one state in total, um, but to get a really much more clear picture about where we might want to look in each state for the right sort of opportunities. uh, Like you said, obviously economic growth and population growth are really two of the biggest things we want to track. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's always good to bring it back to a very simple decision-making framework again, right? So When we look at the state level what we want to see is that is the overall level of demand going to outstrip supply so Mm. that means of course both net internal um, or domestic i should say uh, and overseas migration so we want to have a good sense of how the movement of population is actually tracking within each state another real key as well as of course affordability right so if properties are inherently unaffordable in that state for the local population then What are the odds we're going to see price growth in the near future
0: yeah absolutely and and also affordability according to like let's say the median household income in that Mm -hmm. that specific area and if we if we're going to pick an example i mean sydney is a perfect example (laughs) affordability has just gone completely out the window you know um you you know you've you've, you've, there's all the the kind of noise on the news hey properties are going down by 10 20 10 20 percent well that's with properties that are not in the affordability range actually so properties yep. that are, you know above the med- national medium 900 mil 1.2 1.4 we're seeing like a fairly big adjustment there like the, the prices are coming down but any market um where there there's a strong affordability uh you know you're looking at sub let's say 600 now maybe even sub 500 around that mark there's so much movement there is so much demand for that price point of property um so if you're right like affordability is a massive um key indicator of where we should where should we be looking for property basically yeah
1: yeah absolutely and i think the the simple example is you know again keeping zoomed out at the state level let's use say new south wales and western australia as an example so New South Wales um, median income sitting roughly about 95,000 per household mm. average mortgage about 740k mm. right so just based on the average numbers uh, that's a debt to income ratio sitting of around about seven and a half to eight most banks will cap out their lending to you at somewhere around about seven right mm. so most banks simply wouldn't wouldn't go any further but on that basis. so we know that prices are probably capped out. On the whole, right, there, there are obviously sub-markets that won't be the case where people aren't relying on debt as much. Yeah. So there are still certainly you know, pockets in Sydney that are still growing. But on the whole, that tells us that there's a lot of price compression there, right? Yeah. If we look at Western Australia, almost the same median income, but the debt level is almost half, sitting at about 470K, mm. right? So, yeah. So when we've got people who are earning just as much money on the whole, but property prices are far cheaper, and their cost of living stress is far lower what do we think the odds are for price growth
0: yeah and look uh, perth is a super hot market right now like um you know i'm having several clients buy uh in the west as well and um i mean imagine that you know you've got a similar income or you've got a you've got a very good household income and properties you know you can still pick up like a three four bedroom house in some areas for it's it's getting more. I mean, it's moved quite a lot even in the last six months. But even for the, for yep. around five hundred to five fifty, uh, yeah. it's getting more and more difficult as each day goes on because the market is so hot. But um, you know, obviously, when you've when when a household has that much income, it's very affordable for them to to purchase property. So there's there's so much activity in that that mark those kind of markets, and that's where you get that quick price growth, which is so important when you're building a portfolio you really want to get a quick win so you can use that that equity that you've built as a stepping stone to get the next property um yep. that's why it's so important to look top down first hey which are the, which of the markets are moving let's explore that what's going on with population what's the what are the income incomes and then you can kind of filter out okay we don't want to be looking in let's say um like this this may not be popular right but like i like i'm i'm tending to stay away from like queensland at the moment as an example because we've already seen some massive price growth in the last kind of three years and yep. actually um what we're seeing is i'm you know I'm, I'm seeing it on a daily basis queensland is adjusting down at the moment yes, um, because it is it's now become kind of unaffordable in queensland so yeah.
1: yeah, look, we're definitely seeing some markets come back, and you do want to be very cautious with anywhere where the reason for growth isn't sustained. Mm. So if we're not seeing diverse industries that are booming, um, if the, the reason for that shift in population growth was short-term as opposed to long-term, mm. yes, we want to be super careful. So you're right that, um, again, not to say that we don't invest in Queensland at all uh, but in terms of the big picture, um, yeah, there's a lot more signs for caution.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like whatever we're, we're saying here today, like we're not saying don't do this, don't do that, but you got to kind of have a, think about top down and let's you look, Queensland obviously is going to do well long-term like the the, the Eastern States have always kind of, um, go through their cycles a little bit faster. Um, and, but you know, (laughs) when you're building a portfolio, you want to think okay where can i get where can i get some results now and that's kind of what yes. we look at so definitely affordability what, what else did we mention so population growth is massive like as well that's a big macro data uh indicator um that you should be using when you're looking for a good you know a good place to invest in property um i i sometimes get shocked like we pay for some data we get some government data as well and sometimes i get shocked when i'm you know browsing through and kind of getting a feel for different markets and i i see the the population forecast of some areas and i'm just like holy shit, this is what's going on here you know yeah start to kind of explore a little bit more and then find out a little bit with the infrastructure but obviously yeah population is is a is a, a massive indicator for 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 demand for property yeah
1: Absolutely. Infrastructure on the back of that is colossal, right? So it's all well and good to know that, yes, we do have a growing and thriving population right now, uh, but we're not investing for right now. We're investing for five, 10, 15, 20 years down the track. So what's the evidence we've got that as the population continues to grow, that they'll be able to do the things they actually want to, like, I don't know, travel to work, maybe go to hospital, go to school, um, hmm. perhaps go to the shops uh, if we can't actually do those things what are the odds that we'll have demand for that area in the future yeah probably not so
0: great right so yeah, yeah. so you're talking amenities we're talking about amenities here right um, like people need to be close to employment um, and we need to see that also growing so we we look at how the economy is performing in that specific market is it moving how has it been performing in the past is you know our industries growing are, are the are the industries diverse as well? If, you know, you don't want to be. A lot of people got, for example, I mean, we're talking WA um, and some parts of Queensland. A lot of people have got um, stung investing in, let's say, uh, you know, mining towns where there's a there's a brief mining boom. So there's a huge demand for property everybody kind of piles into the market. Hey, I've got a hot tip. My mate from, you know, work said that, Hey, let's get into this small mining town and, yep. and you, know, you do get that growth. Um, but because it's, it's relying on one economy, it's not a, a diverse number of economies. If yep. that economy shuts down like yes. they have in, in WA when the mine shut down, all of a sudden there's no work. <laughs> what are people going to do? They're going to have to move away and find work.
1: You're jumping ahead to my micro list, but yes, that is all correct.
0: Okay. So, you know, they're gonna they're gonna run away. They have, they need to find work. They need to eat. They need to feed their families. All of a sudden, you know, there's just no demand for property, and that's that's happened to um, a lot of investors. So you got to be careful with that as well. Like, you've got to make sure the the economy is diverse as well. Yeah.
1: Yep. Diverse economy is massively important. I think one of the real keys to bear in mind is that we're not just looking for a big upside. We're looking for how do we keep our down downside as low as possible. So especially for me, really being a professional, yeah, trying I, to
0: serve someone. Like managing risk, you mean? You
1: want to yeah, manage. managing risk. So, so it's all well and good to say that, hey, you know, there could be a massive payoff if we do this thing. But if I'm guiding someone to, to try and, do something better for their future you know can i sleep at night knowing that there's a huge risk attached to it no i cannot right Mm -hmm. so you know there's a reason i'm bald already (laughs) i've seen i've seen too much bullshit over the course of my life um so am i am i comfortable introducing that sort of risk to someone i'm trying to help and serve no i am not
0: yeah yeah okay well all right so what what else have you got on your list there for for macro stuff I'm just going off your list. I don't have a list. I'm just... What's
1: up here? We're doing doing the ESP list, right? So just just telepathically making the whole thing work.
0: Um, Read your mind. What's on the list? Well, let me guess. guess, um, Let me have a guess here. Um, You're going to say... No, I have have no clue, actually.
1: No, I was just going to really double down the infrastructure side of things, right? So in terms of where government spending is going, particularly in respect to um, health, transportation, roads... Vital stuff, uh, obviously, all the really key services we need to see delivered for people to live their lives. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it'll it'll give you a pretty clear picture as to where we're going to see population growth moving in the future, right? So, um, so what we like about both sides of the government, I think there is, um, well, there's a whole podcast about the angry things that we could shout and scream about, but um, yeah. this, this money doesn't get spent heedlessly, so. If it is being spent, then there's a reason for it and we, we expect people to be moving through those areas over time. So seeing where a state's spending in respect to their capital versus their satellite cities, um, that's going to give you a pretty clear picture about population distribution curves as well. So mm-hmm. um, really tracking where that spending is due to come through is pretty important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you got to – I always like to say follow the money, you know, follow the money, where the money is being spent, whether that's pr- uh, public – spending or private spending follow the money like if people are developing specific areas there's a lot of money being pumped into those areas there's a reason for that it's it's not by luck or by chance like they are planning to expand those areas for specific reasons you know um and i just want to touch on that really quickly there's a really good example people in um, melbourne where i am will really relate to this um this is a really good example right um let's say 10 12 even 15 years ago the 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 southeast of melbourne historically has always grown um you know those are the infield suburbs so um it was really interesting i went to uh, the melbourne museum with my my wife and son and there's a there's a whole section on on how melbourne grew and everything and it, it's, it's all, there's all this there's all this really cool stuff you can see but you can see how it grew over a hundred years i actually think i, I posted it on TikTok um and it kind of moved south southeast so obviously those are the most populated suburbs and then it kind of naturally grew that way um but like 10 to 15 years ago at the edge of the southeast you were you were looking at um kind of you know like Berwick and Cranbourne Cranbourne East like no like that was (laughs) yeah that was far I mean for (laughs) me it's still far (laughs) like I'm a city boy you know and um you know 10 10 15, like it was just like farmland
1: yep. yeah you heard cranberry thought officer right
0: yeah and you, like people were, 10 15 years ago would never think like what happened in that those that, around that kind of zone that market around the south no. it's already been you know people are already being pushed out but going back to this whole infrastructure thing the government planned to expand and upgrade all of the freeways up there um you know infrastructure was put in and once that infrastructure was put in and, and the rail lines were all upgraded extra, extra, uh, you know, train stations, extensions and everything. Um, you know, it took time, but I mean, that's a classic example. And now, you know, 10 years ago in like around Berwick and even Cranbourne East, like you could buy properties for 350, 450. And now yep. you're, now you're pushing like a million plus and that's yes. like, you know, that's at like Cranbourne is like, it's an hour from the city like for me that's still like how i don't don't know how people live what are they doing there but obviously there's enough there there's enough infrastructure and jobs and things going on there where um people are moving to and so like the southeast for me it's very affordable like i'm not i'm kind of not looking in those areas anymore because if you look at the price per square meter for land in those areas you're not getting good value for money compared to other places where you can invest in like metro melbourne for example yep. Um, but that's a classic example you know, the infrastructure goes in the population comes in so you know again going back to population growth so infrastructure um population follows then price growth follows after that and it's just insane I still I still can't believe it I say it every time I talk and when you talk to Melbournians about bearing oh Barry, like I just we don't get it like you know how did that happen so um that's that's definitely yeah a massive factor
1: of course, and, and look, anyone who lives within a city your your local bias is simply not going to be predictive of of economic outcomes. It, yeah. it never is right, so um all the emotion that comes in that oh, I wouldn't live there oh no oh, that's that's uh, that's that's not for me that i I wouldn't pay the money, so no one will
0: yeah
1: well, <laughs> as soon as you say that the logic doesn't stand up, so well does it right yeah. so yeah cl- clearly clearly somebody's going to pay it
0: yeah just just touching on that really quickly um at that's that's a very very important point john as an investor you have to take off the emotional hat the the owner occupier hat when you're investing Mm. and i've you know i've had this conversation with with a few of the 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 clients that i'm working with is you know I, i might be showing them data and research and numbers and everything and they'll you know one of the things they might be thinking is I'm not going to, I wouldn't live there. Why would anyone live there? But that's the whole point. You're not living there, but other Mm. people will be. And that's why we look at a top down view. Um, you've got to take that, you've got to put your investor hat on and think of think of it from a numbers perspective. Like, is there a good chance, like based on the data that we're looking at here, is there a good chance that there's going to be continued growth and continued demand, not just from population, um, but from the economy job job creation etc is there a good yes. chance for that um and you know am i going to be able to get a decent tenant in here that's going to pay me a decent rent where i could hold that property over that time so you got to you, you really got to take that kind of the as much emotion out of investing as possible and kind mm-hmm. of put the investor hat on and look at it yeah, uh, we what, call
1: the investor goggles
0: yeah and kind of look at it more as a kind of like a mini business. Think of, you know, your first investment or your investment properties, kind of like you're running like this mini biz- business. You know, it's like, what's coming in, what's coming out? What's the potential growth? How can we grow that that sort of thing?
1: Yeah. Well, the good thing is it makes my responses, you know, typically boring, right? So if someone comes into a property session and says, oh, I really love this property. I could see myself living there. i will say, great, that's irrelevant. What do you think of the numbers, <laughs> right? And if they say, I hate this thing, I hate the design, I hate the location, also irrelevant what do you think of the numbers
0: mm. okay so you just basically take all the fun out of looking at property then john do you
1: well, well the question is you know do you want me to ha- am i here to help you have fun or make money <laughs> right i mean oh, let's let's work out what we're here for if you if you want fun go to the movies right go to Cirque du Soleil mm. um, that's not why we're here
0: yeah okay all right uh what what else what else have you got on your list
1: so look, macro, I think that's it really for the big picture. There's, obviously, this is a very truncated version of what we actually do. Right. Um, but in terms of the, the key parts for a thought process, what you need to do to consider it, I think those are the, the big points, right? right. Uh, I do want to make a note of that as well, that for anyone who does hear what we're going through here, this is obviously an extremely high-level summary of what we do. Yep. Um, the actual nuts and bolts is incredibly boring, um, and it involves a lot more cross-checking than we actually go through here. But this is the really key, big picture stuff.
0: Yeah. Well, we, we're gonna. I guess we're gonna dive into micro in a second. But there is one thing which crosses over between macro and micro, which is rental yields. Um, so there is a bit of there's a bit of crossover there because also when you're going at top down, when you're looking top down, you kind of you've got to have an understanding of generally what are the rental yields in specific areas and what i mean by that is we'll use sydney and and wa as an example again we we generally know top down at a big picture macro level the rental yields in sydney are not great and actually in victoria um there are ways to squeeze more um juice out of the orange so to speak um in in victoria there's specific strategies that you can employ to get more you know the yield in in areas like Victoria but if going back to like Sydney and Perth top down generally Perth has great rental yields yeah compared, well, compared to Sydney not saying that's well, it, look, everything you need because you you know you no. can understand the whole market like everything but yeah yeah and look that is true
1: um the reason that I guess I I keep it in the micro is look we could use Melbourne as an example right so Melbourne historically hasn't had the best rental yields, but there are still a lot of great properties in Melbourne that totally defy that trend. So um, for me, I think it's it's perhaps a little bit um, premature to look at them at this point. Um, you're right that we definitely do want to have that knowledge of how the national market sits. So yes, of course, we don't put that knowledge to the side, um, but to me, it doesn't factor into the decision-making process yet. So I tend to reserve it for the micro, and we're looking yep. more at the specific um, mm-hmm. suburb level particularly.
0: Yeah. Well, I kind of like to think of it, you know, since, since our, our podcast is called property soup, I like to kind of think of yields in terms of macro and micros. Um, you know, when you, when you start cooking a dish or something, you put, you put in a little salt right at the beginning, season it, but, and later on you might, you know, finish it off with with a lot more like to taste and stuff. So, you know, that, you, it, there, there is a-
1: uh, I, 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 I think you're trying to shoot on that analogy a little bit too hard there. Right. <laughs>
0: Uh, okay. So we're going to, we're diving into micro now. Just
1: cram, just, just cram the immersion blender into the yield. Yeah.
0: <laughs> are, I, I guess as this show goes on, we are definitely going to be coming up with a lot more, uh, yeah. Food analogies. So.
1: Oh, absolutely. That, that, that is for certain.
0: All right. So, uh, wh- what are we tapping into now with, when it comes to, to micro?
1: Well, the big one, of course, supply right so now we can start getting really granular about again any assets fundamental value over time supply versus demand so when i talk about that what do i mean um obviously the actual number of building approvals that either are in progress or could occur in the near future for that suburb Mm -hmm. uh, what's the actual available supply of land that can be developed and not just for that specific suburb, but within the local government area and surrounding areas. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the actual picture for, for developable land? Um, are we in an infill pocket? So if we've identified that, um, great. Well, that means we've potentially got a big natural limit to supply. doesn't mean we, we then invest in that area straight away, um, but that can be a very positive sign. Um, so that, that's really a, one, one of the big keys for me, for sure
0: yeah I, I i definitely think that's part of it and and you have to go a little bit back and forth as well you got to go kind of dip into the micro a little bit look at what are the uh, building approvals coming in then go back to the macro what, what's the population growth is it is that going to outstrip uh you know the the actual approvals um that are coming up so you've got to do a bit of back and forth but that's definitely um key uh, look it, it's supply and demand at the end of the day yeah you know if we put it into its most simplest form, any type of investing, we've covered this on previous episodes, it's all about supply and demand. So we want to make sure that, um, uh, something is not oversupplied. Um, and this, this brings up a good example. Um, someone I'm working with, uh, she went and bought a specific type of property, which was completely oversupplied in that market, um, and that property by herself, but you know, kind of helped, um, figure out that hey maybe this is not it's it's really oversupplied. Like there's no demand for that specific type of property in that market. Yeah. And 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 actually there was no we went and analyzed the market, you know, used all all the tools and everything and there'd been zero price growth for that specific asset over the last twenty years. Like zero. <laughs> like it went up maybe five K, then down ten K, and then just kind of was just like a straight line for twenty years. So you know
1: Damn. Got to do your we're own- in the middle of nowhere there I mean like
0: um, I wouldn't say in the middle of nowhere. It was just the wrong asset type in the in 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 that. Ah, yeah, mismatch. Yeah, so you really got to yep. do your homework. Um, yes, you don't want to make big mistakes. Like I'm
1: that. I'm I'm jumping ahead again. That was another one of the criteria we had. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, mate.
0: Look, maybe look, see, it's there. Like I can I can. That's no, it's
1: it's all good. So depends
0: what's on your page. <laughs> that's,
1: that's what it's about, right? Um. But, but yeah, obviously, making sure that we've got tight supply within that market, that's a, another another really key thing to check for. Um, for me, when I look at the population growth, I then want to segment that. So, okay, it's great to know that the city has great population growth, but then we then dive into the local government area and the suburb itself. So mm-hmm. if I can see the specific suburb that property lies in has higher population growth than its than all the surrounding suburbs, the local government area, well, great. That tells me people are actually moving into it. Right. So again, we want to get very granular here. Um, it's, and then if we know that how that compares to the state numbers, and again, it's ahead, cool. So getting that complete picture all the way through um, yeah. is super, super important. Right. Um, obviously, another really good indicator for supply is actual rental demand. So as an example, uh, one property I recommended to a couple fairly recently, um, there were two like-for-like properties available on the rental market in that suburb that's um, yeah. not 22, that's two right? yeah. Um, yeah. In, a, in a suburb of 6,000 people. So yeah. yeah, so we could say pretty definitively that yes, we have tight rental demand as of now and based on the number of building approvals due to occur in the future, that that would be the case for a long time still. So if we can see those sort of numbers, to me, this really means a lot more than potentially high rental yields. Um, yes, high yields are great when we get them, but to me, that's a sizzle on the stake. If we can see an intrinsically low level of demand, oh, sorry, a level of supply and a high level of demand, yeah. um, that's really going to be a key driver moving forward.
0: Yeah, 100%. 100%. Like um, I helped a friend actually get into a market in regional New South Wales, and um, it's moved already uh, was six months ago now, six, seven months ago. It's already moved. And um, it was very difficult. Or it was already getting difficult to get in at around four 450. Um, and that was six months ago, I would say probably, you know, you look, you're looking at minimum 500 K to get into that market, but yeah. looking at the rent, like, you know, going on that example of looking at the health of the rental market, there was literally nothing to rent and nothing available. And there were specific reasons behind that. There was um, infrastructure going in place. There was a lot of jobs. People were coming into that market to work because, um, you know, infrastructure was being built and, and, you know, there was public and private investment. And so there was a lot of people coming into that, that market. And there was, there was nothing for rent. Like the hotels were full, like everything was full. And um, yeah, you like look on real and get a kind of top down view. And literally they'd be like, you know, when I, I always like to get that uh, the map view, you know, and they'd literally be like two red dots. Yeah. And out of the whole market and you'd be like, wow, there's something going on here. So 100%, yeah, uh, 100% agree, yeah. Yeah,
1: it's a pretty key indicator, right? Um, The other thing you mentioned, Alan, which I think is really important to bring up is, of course, employment diversity. So we want to know that not only is there an employment hub in the area, but ideally there are multiple employment hubs for multiple industries. Mm -hmm. Um, If we look at the classic case of property investing gone wrong, it's when someone's just intentionally decided to go into a one-speed economy. So the, the big examples people will, will usually bring up, of course, are the, the mining towns where mm-hmm. there is a very much a, a boom-driven economy and that when that, that, that stimulus goes away, suddenly the town collapses in on itself. Mm-hmm. So property prices collapse, rental yields collapse, everything goes completely pear-shaped. Uh, the other great example, of course, are tourist industries. Uh, yes, they can go really well for a sustained period of time, but if that one industry comes to a halt, literally the entire economy grants to a halt. Mm. Um, There are some other limited examples. There was one couple, unfortunately, I got to a little bit too late. Um, They made the decision to invest in Portland on the the South Australian and Victorian border. Mm. Now, again, nothing against Portland uh, was that there was a wind farm that would be coming and Mm. this would be what drove growth. Mm. Now, the problem with that was the wind farm was only at the approved stage, we hadn't even talked about actually getting people out there to start putting putting shovels to the ground, getting things going, let alone getting a workforce out there. Mm. So will that eventually give them some growth? Probably. Will that growth come within the next two years? Probably not, right? So they might see some equity growth five years down the line, but that just means their portfolio building has been slowed down because while they've got plenty of buying capacity, They've got very limited savings capacity. So they were, they were really relying on the equity growth from this asset to actually get them to open their portfolio. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you think it's cost them to actually d- delay their portfolio growth by a whole five years?
0: Five years is long. I mean, are we yet, what did you calculate it? What was, the, what was the opportunity cost?
1: Well, if we assumed another two properties, uh, the numbers were stacking at roughly $760,000 on a 10-year window.
0: Yeah, ouch. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm. So it was pretty brutal.
0: Okay. Um, anything else we need to cover on on the micro level?
1: Uh, look, obviously, capital appreciation demographics, one thing that you referred to before as well. So in very simple terms, we want to make sure that the median age of the population actually stacks up well. right? So not saying it has to adhere to a particular number. Um, the rule of thumb is around the country, median age is about 39 years old. So we want to see people who are sitting around that sort of level coming into their best working years where they're likely to see an increase in income. Yeah. Right? So obviously if people are earning more income, they can afford more expensive properties. They'll have friends coming to the suburb who are of a similar economic standing usually. So we're going to see that price growth, that rental growth being fueled the right way over time. So that's really what we're looking for. And again, obviously making sure that the primary industries that people are employed to actually matches matches those employment hubs. Yeah, um, that that is kind of kind of important. Uh, but sometimes people do forget about that, so um, that's a pretty big key there as well. Any thoughts about that?
0: No, I, I agree. Um, you know, you you want to have a look at like demographics as well, and and have a look at okay, um, you know, what's the median age? Are, are these, are, is, are, you know, is this group of people likely to, um you know, um, increase their income over time, you know, they're going to buy property over time. And that that's, that's definitely something we look at as well.
1: Absolutely. Well, if we've got the average age of people in the population are in their 50s, right? So coming up to the terminal you know, part of their working life um, and the next generation really aren't sticking around, they tend to move away, yeah. um, then we're not seeing a great trend, right? Um, same yeah. thing if we do see transient populations where uh, we do see um, our, our biggest earners moving away during the most vital working years. Mm. Um, typically during the years, they'll have their family as well. Um, that's what we want to see. So we want to see really solid, stable population to give us solid population growth over time as well.
0: Yeah. Just, just while we're on that population age is important in demographics, also household size, median household, mm. uh, household size. Um, you know, there's specific markets in Perth, for example, where, you know, the median income is like uh I don't know. The household income is around 110, 120,000. And then the average household size is around 2.8, which is, I don't know, 20, 30% higher than the average nationally. So you've got young families there with really good incomes buying up loads of property. Like it's, you know, you could be looking for those, looking out for those things as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Some really, really solid key indicators. Absolutely. That then feeds into the local understanding of affordability. So you're right that before we looked into the big picture macro stuff, um, you know, generally speaking, can people in this state afford properties of the median values? Then within the suburb, what we want to see is not only can people afford these properties in the short term, um, but are we going to see growth in the long term because their income and earnings are up high, um, the debt levels are low and the price points of the property actually support growth based on what they're earning. Mm-hmm. So that case being there, uh, obviously pretty key.
0: Um, just quickly on that as well is, um, you know, that's very important, like understanding, can they afford property? But what's also important is understanding migration patterns as well. Yes. Because people do migrate from different states and it's it's happening, it's happened in the last year. Uh, a lot of people have left uh, Sydney um, and surrounding areas in Sydney because it's become so unaffordable and they move actually, mm. they migrate to more affordable areas. And then when you've got um, overseas migration as well, they yep. tend to get pushed to regional areas first so they can, uh, you know, bolster the workforces there. So that's that's all part of it. That's all part of it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Re- regional, again, being very contextual, you know, are we saying the, the absolute middle of nowhere? Probably not. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but you're right. That um, affordability for new migrants, of course, becomes an absolute key. Um, so we, we we generally know the sort of pockets they're going to target based on the industries they're employed to as well. Yeah. Um, on that point as well, uh, infrastructure, of course, we look to on the macro level, uh, but on the micro level, it's got to stack up as well. So again, we want to see in the specific area we're investing into, it's already great infrastructure for the people who are there. But do we also have emerging projects that are due to complete in the short term? Uh, like you mentioned, Alan, we want that burst of capital growth for a new investor. The idea being that, okay, great, if we can get a really solid burst of growth, one to two years in, of owning this property. Hmm. That means we've set ourselves up to then get the next acquisition. Yeah. Uh, any thoughts? Any anything you think I might have missed so far? No,
0: I think we pretty much covered everything as much as we can cover on a podcast. Um, I think the last part of the micro for me, which I consider micro, I don't know if you, that's the same for you, is yes. really doing a, an in-depth cash flow analysis. So once we've gone macro and micro in terms of the market, we've got to go. For me, I go micro on the property as well. So once i've got yep. like a stack or a list of properties that i might potentially be choosing for some buyers i'll actually i actually kind of i might i might sure get like a list of 10 and then and then narrow it down to maybe like two or three choices and then further kind of micro analyze those look at the overall cash flow look at the rental yield look at the potential ongoing um costs or upfront costs like it might be like a mini You know uplift reno whatever it is look at all those kind of costs as well and then look um okay we've now narrowed down out of five let's say i don't know two thousand properties in the market we've narrowed it down to 50 then we've narrowed it pushed it down to 10 and then we've narrowed it down to five and two or three and then really getting micro on those two and three and yeah i like to put them through a scorecard um you know we look at very micro like in terms of okay how close is it walking distance to amenities you know is it in a school zone is it is there access to school so we get really really macro in terms of geography and location but then um did i say macro i meant micro and then get micro on um the actual cash flow um of the property like is it going to be a good long-term hold what what's our you know revenue what's the rental income coming in What are all our expenses what's our tax benefit um depreciation uh net cash flow how how does it look at a micro level that's for me the very last piece that's a really really important piece um like i spoke to an investor uh you know they'd already done a purchase and it was it was an investment probably a good area but you know he 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 hadn't really done any like cash flow analysis and I kind of did it for him. I said, Hey, look, look, let me do it for you. And yep. he was gonna he's gonna be out ten to fifteen grand per year. So like yeah. scratch your head there and go, that ten to fifteen grand that you're down because of the net cash flow, that's eating into your capital growth. You gotta be careful with that stuff. So yes.
1: this is where people often get this is why I'm really skeptical of gross yield figures in general. because you know, people will say, Oh, but there's a six percent gross yield. Okay, what's the cash flow? Right? I mean, like, okay, this is great. A, a, a good gross yield figure, and this will, this will sound harsh, but it's just mental masturbation. It doesn't pay anyone's bills. All right. Right. And look, I'm sorry if that offends anyone, but it's, it's a random ephemeral percentage that has no bearing on what comes to in and out of your pocket whatsoever, right? It is nothing better than a pulse check, right? So would we like one? Yeah, do I hang my head in it? No, let's get into the cash flow. Right, That's got to make sense. One thing we, we alluded to through this that I think it'd be good for us to touch on, um, because I guess from here, if we were to go more granular, we start getting to the, the differences between new versus existing property. Both obviously have their benefits and not really for, for this conversation today, anyway. Uh, but obviously, having a suited product to its market. So, one thing you mentioned, Alan, so WA, of course, you know, market we tend to see a lot of young families. Um, particularly moving into the south, the Peel region, uh, would we ideally want to get a whole bunch of one-bedroom apartments there? Probably not. Not when we consider the price gap between one-bedroom apartment um, and a, and a five bed, four or five-bedroom house is actually not that great.
0: Whereas in the, in the Sydney market, for some people, it might make sense to get a unit or an apartment because absolutely massive gap. Like it's it, you know they, we're actually seeing price growth in those areas. Yeah. yeah. Melbourne too. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we are. I mean, you know, you've got to be careful, like, you know, uh, you don't want to get to a high density. You're looking for low to medium density, but in, in, in markets like Sydney, like I, I mean, I'm not from Sydney, you know, Sydney, but I'm pretty certain that, you know, if you're 10 minutes out of the center of Sydney, pretty sure that people who bought apartments, you know, 10, 15 years ago have gotten plenty of price growth and equity of those assets it's not not like a a one rule for everything it it really depends might be good opportunities anywhere so yeah yes
1: it's important to mention that yep that particular asset class still doesn't mean every opportunity is right there's still gonna be great and poor examples of each one so that's very implicit Um, but like you mentioned alan really getting the cash flow right so understanding okay what does this property actually cost me in real dollar figures per year um, can I sustain that? So the, the decision-making fr- framework that I really, really try and relate all the, the granular research reports back to is pretty straightforward. So looking at it right now, are there more people who want to live there now than there is actual supply on the market, right? Yes or no. So if we, if, if that's a no, well, why are we looking any further? <laughs> it's it's pointless. <laughs> We're going to have struggles settling the property. We're going to have struggles tenanting it. Let's just leave it be, right? There are other options. So, if that's a yes, um, is there a good reason to believe that that will still be the case for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, based on, of course, infrastructure, public and private spending, um, enough research reports showing population trends, right? So, again, we want that to be a yes. If that's a yes, do the demographics then make sense that that we will consider that this is likely to have significant capital growth over the period we're going to own it? And again, if you don't get a yes, why are you investing? It doesn't make any sense. Um, and then assuming that I can then hold the property t- for 20 years, like you said, from the cash flow. Now, what's the evidence that I can afford to do so with relative ease, oh. right? So not costlessly, but if I know that the worst case scenario is this property cost me 5000 b- bucks out of pocket every year, and I know that I can find 5000 bucks pretty easily, because let's be honest, who doesn't spend 100 bucks on crap each week? Um yeah. Well, great well now i know all those things are likely to work
0: well like yeah well my last point it comes back to that uh the magical atm again right like mm. <laughs> interest rates are rising yeah well we actually they're probably going to come well, it looks like we we may see some um like a, a hold on interest rates and they may come down a little bit they may adjust but the general trend if you i, I think over the long term we're going to see interest rates go on a, on a general upward trend i don't know we don't know but you got to factor in, okay. Even if this cost me five grand to, to hold, if it's going to create me a half a million dollars in equity over a ten-year period, hey, look, is that worth it? That's a magical eight. Yeah. In five bucks, it's out fifty. <laughs>
1: if it doesn't make sense, you have to ask yourself, how good does it have to get, right? How 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 risk free does bust this get before you actually do something, right? You know, do we have to get to the point where it now costs you five bucks a year? Twenty-five dollars to make that five hundred k, because because <laughs> I can tell you right now that for someone who can't justify the hundred bucks a week, they still wouldn't justify the the, the five bucks a year. Hmm. Right? That's that. What they basically said is, I don't believe this will work. And if that's the case, where you truly don't believe property will work, well, cool. You shouldn't invest in it.
0: Yeah, choose something else.
1: <laughs> choose something else. Choose life.
0: Cool. All right. Well, um, hopefully, guys, uh, that gave you a bit of. Uh, insight into you know what we do as strategists and buyers agents in terms of um, looking for a good property uh, you know looking for a good investment in terms of macro and the micro Um, John you've got anything else to add before we sign off today
1: no I'm spent that's my my brain juices all drained
0: all right well John's spent and um, you know it's time for me to switch on the lights because the sun's gone down and uh yeah this room's getting dark so we'll see you guys later and become the melbourne werewolf yeah um maybe i don't know uh but yeah we'll see you guys on the next episode see you guys
1: see everyone